stay tuned to find out which castle you want to stay at for Halloween. Welcome to Vacation Mavens, a family travel podcast with ideas for your next vacation and tips to get you out the door. Here are your hosts, Kim from Stuffed Suitcase and Tamara from We Three Travel. Hey, Tamara. So today we are talking about Ireland, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I know that we've been to England, but you have done some great international travel over in Europe. So I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to talk about some international travel tips with you. To lead I agree. In. Yeah, I think a lot of times people are really nervous about traveling to Europe with kids, even if they did it themselves, you know, maybe when they were younger. Uh, it's kind of a whole different thing when you're going with a family. And so I definitely have some some top tips that I usually give people. Great. Yeah, I'm dying to know because I know we want to do more international travel. So love to know what you what you've discovered. Well, I know we're talking about Ireland. And so Ireland is um, like when we were in Iceland, there's a lot of driving around the country. And so one thing that I would recommend would be going to your local AAA and getting an international driver's license. It's not required. But if you do get stopped at all, it's really helpful because everything is in different languages. So it, it may depend on you know where you're going. But if you're going to be driving through, through Tuscany or, you know, other parts of the world, it's just helpful to have that on hand. I didn't even know that existed. So that's a great trip. Ah, see, I worked at AAA when I was uh, one in college. And so nice. all kinds of trivia <laughs> I have from that job. I'm a AAA member. So <laughs> I'm always surprising my husband. I'm like, oh, does that mile post exiting? And did you know that highways, you know, if they there are even numbers, if they run east, west and, you know, so all <laughs> kinds of trivia I pull out from that AAA job. But yeah, nice. Uh, another tip that I would have would be to sign up for the Smart Traveler Enrollment Program. And that's offered through the U.S. Department of State. And if you just Google STEP Program or Smart Traveler Enrollment Program, uh, you can see how you can sign up. Basically, this is where you can get all the information about different travel alerts and warnings that are in effect and maybe some other reasoning behind it. So you might want to you know, think about whether or not you want to travel to certain areas. I mean, there's things out because of uh, Zika or unfortunately because of terrorism. There's some uh, warnings for Europe right now. And so it gives you all of that detail. But also if you sign up it, if if something were to happen when you're abroad, you'll get messages and whether it's a, a text message or email, you'll get alerts to keep you informed. And, you know, it can be really disconcerting when you are in another country where you're not speaking the language. Maybe you don't even have access to uh, English language television to kind of know what's happening and you don't know what to do. So I, I recommend that as well. I know one time we, we were in Spain and there was some protesting going on. And we kind of, there were right outside the apartment that we rented, there were all these like riot police and you just heard all kinds of shouting and some booming. And we were, you know, we were like, what do we do? Do we not leave our apartment, the apartment? Like, especially because we weren't in a hotel where we might be able to call down to the front desk and get some more information. So a program like that would have been really helpful in that situation. Yeah, that's good. We've, I've used that too. And just know sometimes it, it can be a little fearful. For instance, when I was going to Israel, I enrolled in that and looked at all the warnings. And of course, when you're reading that, it's kind of like reading the worst of the worst. So just be aware yeah. of that, that they're telling you everything that is 
has happened and everything that you need to be alert for. But it, you know, you can also use your own judgment on whether it needs to affect your travel plans. And I think a good backup plan too is just to have travel insurance because generally if you wanted to cancel because of a of a, a warning or an alert, that's not going to be covered under your travel insurance unless you have some sort of cancel for any reason policy. And even if something were to happen in Paris and you were going to Provence, like it unless you're traveling through Paris, it may not cover it or even some insurances may not cover it even if you're just traveling through uh, unless it's part of your final destination. So I think having um, travel insurance, it gives you the option of, you know, changing your mind should an alert come up. So that's a great tip. Yeah. So anything else to add? Yeah. I mean, a couple others that I always tell people, I I work with people to help plan trips. So I always have kind of some general guidelines and that is definitely always call your bank ahead of time and your credit cards and let them know where you're going and what dates because credit card companies especially are very quick to kind of shut down your card if they suspect fraud. And then especially if you have your phone turned off, they can't get in touch with you to verify it. So you don't want to find yourself in another country without a credit card. Yeah, um, so give them in Canada. <laughs> yeah, so give them a call ahead of time. I also generally like to get some Euro uh, ahead of time. And it's a great time to travel to Europe right now because the exchange rate is good. But if you go to your bank and, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ahead of time, you can request a certain denomination of of euros and you're going to get a better exchange rate than you would, you know, definitely at the airport or any kind of money exchange place. You know, and then if you need more while you're on the trip, just go ahead and go to an ATM. Just make sure that you have a ATM card that has a chip and a pin because in Europe they moved to that system a lot earlier than we did here in the US. And I know when we were in Rome a couple of years ago, we had a lot of trouble even getting into an ATM because we didn't have a card that had a chip And so we were in a mild panic that we had no access to money. So again, just another another little tip. Yeah, that's a great tip. And one to piggyback on that is to check with your bank because they might have partner banks that are international. For instance, um, I know we're Bank of America clients and one of the partner banks, you know, when I was in Africa, I was able to look up all their partner banks and I was able to find like, I think they're, uh, I can't even think of it now, but they have partner banks. And so I can go to those partner bank ATMs and use the ATM with no fee. Yeah. And that's a huge thing, which sometimes, you know, you get a fee from your bank and then a fee from that bank and, you know, it can kind of run away a little bit, but that's another tip. So if you're using ATM, see if there's a partner bank. Yeah. And speaking of uh, banks and credit cards also, Uh, I would really recommend getting a credit card that doesn't charge foreign transaction fees because I know in the past, we have a Capital One card now, but in the past, our Amex card, uh, even just going to Canada, we got hit with all kinds of different foreign transaction fees. It probably ended up being like, you know, 40 bucks or something like that, which, you know, why pay those fees if you don't need to? So I would look into what kind of fees your credit card will charge and trying to find one that doesn't have foreign transaction fees. Yep. Great tip. It's becoming more common, I think now, because we had the same thing, but now we have both of our cards have none, but yeah. I look for the foreign transaction fees is what it's called. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I guess my last tip would come in to communication, which people that aren't familiar with traveling out of the U.S. very often kind of forget about the charges that can really rack up when it comes to your phone usage. 
And what I usually do is just go into my settings and I turn off data roaming and I turn off voice roaming. We keep one phone on that has voice roaming, but then we'll usually get a small international plan for that. So we really try to minimize our phone usage because especially the kids, they may not realize like that they're texting and that's, you know, that's racking up unless you're using, uh, you know, something like WhatsApp or Viber or Skype or if everybody's on iMessage, but it, it can really get get pricey. So, you know, look for Wi-Fi or, or Kim, you've actually used, um, the, I think we've talked about before, even the portable uh, Wi-Fi devices. Yeah. yeah. But those can get used. I mean, the data can get used up so fast. And so I agree. It's just, we, we almost always turn off our data on our phones and just kind of use Wi-Fi, make do, you know. Yeah. But and it's yeah. good. It's a good step towards unplugging, unplugging right? We yeah, just talked we about. Just talked about I was just thinking that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And if you do need to make an international call, I know on the iPhone, at least, if you just press and hold zero, it'll come up with the plus sign, you know, because everything is like plus and then the, the country code. So that's if, if your call isn't going through, you, that's probably why you just need to press and hold zero to come up with that plus sign. Sounds good. Yeah, I think those are great tips. And I'm excited to do more international travel. And definitely Ireland is on our international bucket list. So looking forward to talking to Jody about that. Yeah, let's hear what she has to say. Sounds good. Okay, so today we're here talking about Ireland with Jody Halstead. And Jody has been traveling across Ireland for over a decade with her own children and discovering the most family friendly sites and activities on the tourist trail and off. Dedicated to Ireland family travel, her website, Ireland Family Vacations, provides exceptional advice for a magical Ireland vacation. For families that are looking for a perfectly tailored Ireland vacation, Jody also offers Ireland vacation coaching and works with families to help you choose the perfect lodging, destinations, and activities to fit your budget and interests and expectations. So I don't think we could find a better person to talk to about Ireland. So welcome, Jody. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you today. Ireland is, I think, you know, for so many people have family roots in Ireland and others just, you know, are, are really intrigued by this kind of magical land. So, so many people are interested in planning a trip, but they want to see so much and they don't know kind of where to stay, like, you know, how to plan that trip out. And I know your site just offers such great resources for that. So glad. Oh, thank to you. To you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was kind of the the whole point of the site was to really fill in a big gaping hole because Ireland tourism really has a focus of, you know, your honeymoon travelers or maybe your more mature travelers who are probably on a tour bus or, you know, things like that. And they, they really didn't, didn't have a, a family travel focus. They might mention it here and there, but the resources for it just weren't out there. It's so funny that you say you bring up those two groups because personally in my family, it's like my mom has gone um, when she retired. That was her like retirement trip. She went by herself and did a bus tour and my nephew has gone on his honeymoon. So <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely see that those are big. Mm -hmm. Those are big markets for them. They are. Well, I know that Ireland for me became kind of when Irish step dancing and, you know, like mm -hmm. Michael Flatley and the Celtic women group. But you know, those kind of became popular. And I think that that's a kind of a draw for a lot of people. Maybe. It, it really, it really is. Um, it's been, I want to say 20 years since Riverdance um, first appeared on Euro, what was it Eurovision? So the, the big music competition that they have over there. 
And, uh, you know, with, with the increase of that, it really brought a lot of attention to um, Irish culture, especially across the U.S. It, you know, my girls do uh, Irish dance. My youngest plays the harp. My eldest plays the Irish tin whistle. So Irish culture has become a lot more prominent in the U.S., which has also really increased the interest in traveling to Ireland and with more experiential travel really coming to the forefront for families, um, Ireland has seen, or at least I have noticed, a huge influx of family family interest in Ireland. Yeah, well, I'm here in the Northeast, so, you know, Boston is such a strong Irish community. I think they have they have the biggest, like, St. Patrick's Day parade. But then surprisingly, I found out that Savannah has the second largest, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, St. Patrick's Day parade. So, yeah, those Irish roots uh, have found their way across the country. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your family? Sure. I have two daughters. They are 9 and 11, so getting up to the tween years, but have been traveling um, to Ireland with me since they were both, I think, one year old was when they both per- took their first trips. Um, my husband, Doug, is a computer software programmer, so we're we're lucky that he can pretty much work from anywhere. So we're we're able to uh, to be on the road quite a bit if we choose to. And... A little bit of Irish background in my family and just the the interest really grew from from that, from the stories and the histories and things like that. So do have you did you travel to Ireland before kids then? I did. My first trip to Ireland, I was actually thirty the first time I went overseas. And I went alone. I had a book of B and B's and a rental car and a map. And I just kind of landed and went where the road took me. So it was a wonderful trip, but late to the game. (laughs) So how often do you think you go back now to visit? We're there at least once a year. Now, when, you know, like we were there for a month last, the end of August to the end of September. So it's only been, what, six, seven months since we've been. But the year before we were there in late October for a couple of weeks for Halloween. So we're there once a year, but it's not, you know, not every June we go or every July we go. We really change it up based on what we want to do. This year's trip is in June because there is a festival at the beginning of June we really want to go to. And we're there for so long because my eldest daughter will be attending a maths camp at the end of June. So what is a mask camp? It depends. Math. I'm sorry. Oh, math. Got it. So, <laughs> over, over there, they add an S to it. <laughs> so it's yeah. got it. So it's a math camp at uh, Kyle Moore Abbey, which will be phenomenal. Oh, exciting. Nice. I think it sounds great. I know my daughter would love that. So how many days would you recommend? It sounds like you're going to be there for a month, but what would you recommend a family mm-hmm. should stay? Um, how many days should they stay in Ireland? Right. A pretty average vacation for a family in Ireland is anywhere from 10 days to two weeks. 10 days seems to be about the average that people can get away because if you put a weekend on either end of a week, you've got about a 10-day trip, including travel. Right. So if you had 10 days, like how would you break it up? Well, if I were going, and this is what I usually recommend, is if it's at all possible, fly into Dublin and out of Shannon. Mm. They're on opposite sides of the country, basically straight across east to west. But if you do it that way, you're not backtracking back to Dublin to get out. And Shannon Airport is such a joy to fly out of 
you don't have it's it's not a three and a half hour adventure to get out of Shannon Airport. I've done it in half an hour. So if if at all possible, into Dublin, out of Shannon, and then do the a loop through the south. So from Dublin down to Glendalock in Wicklow, over to Kilkenny, down into Cork and Kerry, up toward the Cliffs of Moher, and out of Shannon. So would you spend a few days in Dublin, or what's a good amount of time to spend in the city? I think two days in Dublin is more than enough. So when you fly from the U.S., you land in Ireland if you're going direct to Dublin and not flying through uh, Paris or London. If you fly direct into Dublin out of the U.S., you're landing anywhere between 5.30 in the morning and 7 in the morning usually. So you have a whole entire full day in front of you. And Dublin is a great place to burn off that jet lag because you can get from the airport into Dublin by bus. Never, ever, ever drive in Dublin. So you take the bus in, drop your bags at the hotel and just start moving and getting really active. And there's so much to do to keep you interested and really fight off that jet lag until about seven o'clock that night when you can, you know, drop an exhaustion and sleep a good solid 10 hours. So if you take the bus in from the airport into Dublin, mm-hmm. then so are you suggesting is Dublin easy for walking around and kind of getting around just without any kind of transportation? And then do you rent a car from there mm-hmm. to start your mm-hmm. road trip? Yes. Dublin is an incredibly walkable city. Not only is the city center very compact, but if there are places that you want to go outside of the city center, say the Guinness Storehouse or Phoenix Park, where the Dublin Zoo is, or even just right outside into some of the smaller villages, there is a light rail that's in town. There are buses. There is a train. So it's very easy to get around. And and then, of course, taxis. So it's very easy to get around. You can even rent Dublin bikes, kind of like they have in, in most cities in the U.S., that's good. So I think, Kim, you had mentioned like when you start your road trip, do you pick up the car in downtown Dublin or do you go out to the train station or where do you get it? Usually you would just pick up your car in Dublin. It depends on which car rental company you use, but they're going to be not right in the city center. They'll be a little bit outside. It still can be a little harrowing to drive, but it's not quite as congested as it would be right in the city center. But you can take a train to get to your car. But there, there are a dozen places to pick up a car and then begin from there and return it to an airport. Okay. And then when you're doing your Southern Loop, are you mm-hmm. staying in a different place each night? Or can you just try to stay in a couple places and do day trips out from there? When traveling with kids, I usually recommend at least two nights in each location just because it keeps you from packing and yeah. unpacking and packing and unpacking. Ireland is a wonderfully small country. But where people get overwhelmed is that there's just so much to do in such a small area. So a lot of people think, okay, the country's the size of Indiana, approximately size and shape of Indiana, so north, south, east, to west. But you're not going to see everything you want to see in a 10-day trip. If you do, you're going to be you know, driving, taking a picture, getting in your car and driving again. It's just incredibly rushed if you try to do that. So I always recommend at least two days per stop, three if you're okay with doing four-hour day trips to get to a couple of places. So if you were going out of Dublin, what I would recommend is a couple of days in Dublin and then heading down to Kilkenny with a stop en route in the Wicklow Mountains. And then from Kilkenny, you would make a choice of either going into Cork 
or going over to Killarney, which is in the southwest where you have the Ring of Kerry and Dingle. Staying in one of those, either split it up to be three days here, um, you know, three days in Cork or three days in Killarney, and then head up toward the northwest, toward the Cliffs of Moher and Shannon. So sometimes you have to really give up things because I know there are a lot of people who, you know, they want to go on the Ring of Kerry. They want to see Blarney Castle. They want to see the Cliffs of Moher. They want to hike in Wicklow. And really, if you have these, you know, three and four hour stops on an itinerary, it's hard to do them all and really do them justice. So less is more in Ireland. Yeah, I even suggest that, you know, when I was talking recently about Iceland, it's, you know, it's really to do it, you have to be moving all the time or you're going to have a lot of driving and it's, mm-hmm. no, yeah, no family wants to be in a different place every night. It's just, right. it's exhausting. So it's good to right. find those home bases that you can explore from and just realizing, like you said, that you can't do everything. You're going to have to prioritize and make some choices. Right. I, I tell people to figure out what their must-see sites are and then even print off a map of Ireland mm. and then circle those sites and see how close together they are and then plan your route around that. And I mean, I do that even still with my trips. I, I circle where we're going to be and the things that I want to see. And I still have to leave things out because it's just, okay, this one is clear over here. It's not near anything is it really worth, you know, the three hours there and the three hours back for me to day trip it? And, you know, often the answer is no, because there's still so much where I'm going to be that I haven't seen. Yeah, no, I can understand that. That's good advice. And then you really have to rely on Google Maps or something like that to get a sense of how long does it take to drive from place to place too. Well, and not only that, but you have to realize that the roads in Ireland you know, they're very small, they're very narrow, they twist, they have a nice hedgerow, usually backed by a stone wall on each side. So while Google Maps might say this drive right. will take you right. this long based on the speed limit we're given, you're usually not going that speed limit. So I say if they're telling you it'll take half an hour, add 10 minutes. If they're telling you it'll take an hour, you know, add 20. Yeah, that's great advice. Because it's better to be early than late and miss something because the driving is never as straightforward as a map will make it. Is driving the best way to get around? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> it, Ireland has a nice train system, but it, it only goes to the main city. So while you can take a train from Dublin to Limerick, if you wanted to go from Limerick to say the Cliffs of Moher, you'd have to get on a bus. Well, the buses aren't really direct. So can, if you can rent a car and navigate yourself, it's really the best way time-wise as well as stress-wise. And when you're renting a car in Ireland, is it like a lot of Europe where it's a lot cheaper if you rent a manual transmission versus automatic? Manual transmissions are the most common. Yeah. Um, automatics are going to cost you a bit more and you want to get the smallest car you can possibly fit in because, again, the roads are small and narrow. We we rented one year we took my mom and we ended up having to upgrade the car because the people mover that we had rented that said it would hold, you know, five relatively easily. It wasn't thinking five with two car seats and luggage. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we ended up upgrading to a Land Rover, which was really nice to drive. But there were some roads where, I kid you not, we were side to side on this two-lane road. 
you know, this was a road meant for two vehicles and and we took the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So you want to get the smallest car possible. And then car insurance in Ireland works differently than in a lot of places in Europe. So it's something that you really, really have to pay attention to because most credit cards, when you're used to renting a car and having the insurance included, Ireland is one of the, the countries that most credit cards will not cover. So in Ireland, you are obligated to, if you don't have coverage, to purchase a collision damage waiver. And a lot of times that will be built into your insurance. But then there's also the excess collision damage waiver, which I highly recommend people buy. Because if you don't buy this excess waiver, they're going to hold anywhere from three to $5,000 block on your credit card. You know, and then any damage comes off of that. Well, with the collision damage waiver, which depending on how long you stay... I think it's, it runs about 15 to $20 a day, covers you 100%. Yeah, that, those are great tips. So I know one of the things that um, people dream about is staying in a castle. And I was wondering if you had any one that you, or a few that you would have tried that you would recommend for families? Ireland has some amazing castle hotels. The one that we, when we went over Halloween, we stayed at Ashford Castle, which is up in uh, County Mayo at the town of Kong. Now, this area was pretty well known because it's where The Quiet Man was filmed, so the John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara movie. And the stars actually stayed at Ashford Castle. A lot of the area around was used in the film. But Ashford Castle does, at Halloween, they transform into Hogwarts. So it's great for kids. We got there and there were... There were Hogwarts robes on the beds and wands and and oh, yeah, but the best part <laughs> the, the best part was yeah. <laughs> the best part was the staff took the girls at three o'clock in the afternoon. So we'd done like a treasure hunt around the grounds, but then the staff took the girls at three and they did baking with the elves and magic stuff and movies and dinner. I mean just all this stuff. But they they had them for six hours. So my girls are off, you know, at Hogwarts for six hours. And my husband and I got to have couple time. So we went on a boat ride on the lake and had a nice little drink in the bar and had a five course meal in the dining room. That sounds awesome. It was amazing. It was amazing. So that and it's a great castle all year round. But at Halloween, And then they do some other events during the year as well. So that's a great one to stay at. It's definitely not budget. Another one is down near Shannon Airport. It's called Dromoland Castle. And they are, they're actually the castle that Disney has used the past few years when they're doing their Ireland family exploration trip. Mm. So they have, they're set up for families very well. They have, you know, a movie night for the kids so the parents can have dinner. They have on-site activities like falconry and horse riding and archery and things like that. So there's plenty to do there. And it's, you know, it's 15 minutes from the Shannon Airport. Very easy to day trip out to the Cliffs of Moher or the Burren up into Galway or, or down toward Limerick. So it's a really lovely location for that. But my personal favorite is actually not far from Dromoland. It's called Napogue, and it is owned by Shannon Heritage Corporation, which owns and manages Bunratty Castle and Malahide Castle and King John's Castle. So they have all these attractions. Well, Napogue Castle used to be open for tours, but now it's a private 
Event Castle. So they host medieval banquets there every night during the season from April to September. But the upper level is private quarters. So you can actually rent the castle and have a private stay. So we stayed there for three nights last year, and it was just phenomenal. Wow. So when you say private stay, do you mean Mm -hmm. you're the only guests? Yeah, you have the castle. Other than the people who are coming in to the lower level for the medieval banquet, you know, all the staterooms are yours. So you come in and you walk through the castle and back and up some stairs, and then you have this massive chamber that has a fireplace and all these seating areas and you know and i mean we're talking antique furniture like 12th 13th 14th century and uh, then the bedrooms and big massive blue and gold sitting room that is just so fancy that you can imagine having a wonderful tea in the afternoon mm-hmm. as you look over the gardens and entertain and us. yeah and it sleeps yeah it sleeps 10 people and then we had uh Two ladies, we called them our fairy godmothers, that would come in every morning and make us breakfast. And they were so sweet. They would bring treats for the girls every day. They would stop at, at the little local bakery and and end up bringing in muffins and cupcakes and, and things for the girls. And they just spoiled us for the days we were there. It was great. Sounds fabulous. It really is. And it's also, it's, you know, maybe half an hour from Shannon Airport and very easy to day trip over into the Burr and to the Cliffs of Moher and things like that. So do you have any like insider tips if you want to visit some attractions, like some popular attractions or any money-saving tips? Sure. So the Office of Public Works, or the OPW, manages a lot of the heritage sites. So think about the Rock of Cashel, Care Castle, Ross Castle down in Killarney, Dublin Castle, Glendalock. So anyway, there are places all over the country that are managed by the OPW. And a lot of these places have a visitor's fee. The OPW has a family pass where for one flat fee, it will get you into all of these sites. And if you plan to visit, you know, the average is usually about six or seven of them, depending on which sites you're going to. But if your family plans to visit quite a few of those, the OPW Family Pass is a great money-saving measure. And you can get that at your first OPW site and just pay for it there. Another uh, really handy thing to get if you're going to spend two days in Dublin, the Dublin Pass is a city pass. And it actually will include your transport from the airport into Dublin. So if Dublin is your first stop, you would use it then because that activates the pass. And then that would include places like the Dublin Zoo and the Guinness Storehouse and Malahide Castle and Dublin Castle and the Little Museum of Dublin. And so there's about 36 sites on that one that it will get you into or skip the queue. So it's it's nice to use if you're going to be there a couple of days. But I always recommend that people really look at what they want to do and the savings and kind of break it down before they buy it. Because if you only plan to visit three or four of those sites, it may not save you money. Yeah, I find that no matter what city you're in, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a great deal, but you really have to want to maximize those attractions. Right. And and in Dublin, it's easy to do, but you, you just want to make sure you know what's on there. And their website is really great for, you know, for telling you what is on the pass and, and how to use it. So it's it's a really great site for doing your research. Now, in the west of Ireland, like I said, Shannon Heritage manages Bunratty Castle, and then the Cliffs of Moher are actually a separate, separately owned and managed attraction. 
But if you're planning to visit the two of those in one day, which is entirely doable, on the Shannon Heritage website, they have a dual ticket that will get you entry into both of those and save you a few euro. Those are good tips. Thank you. I always like to try local foods wherever I am. And so I was wondering, you know, what some of the more well-known Irish foods are and are they what we think they are here in the U.S.? You know, is it corned (laughs) beef and cabbage or, you know, what what should we be trying when we're there? Well, I'm just going to start by saying corned beef and cabbage is an American meal. It is not an Irish meal. It was kind of created by Irish immigrants because they couldn't get the, the cut of meat that they had with, it was a bacon cut and corned beef was the closest they could get to it in the U.S. But anyway, Ireland is so well known for the Irish breakfast. And the Irish breakfast includes black and white pudding, bangers, rashers of bacon, eggs, beans, tomatoes, bread. I think I've got everything. So Do similar the black to pudding. English breakfast. Very too. similar to English breakfast. Yep. Oh, and potatoes. Don't forget potatoes. So be sure to try the black pudding. A lot of people are put off by it because it is a blood sausage, but it is so well made. And if you don't like it in one place, you want to try it in another because the butchers all over Ireland all have their own recipes for it. So you may find that one is a little less grainy than another, or one might have a few more spices than the other. So if you don't like it one place, do try it another because it's absolutely wonderful and so, so yummy. Another thing that Ireland is really becoming known for is their hyper-local food, especially along the West Coast in the Burren and then down in Cork near Kinsale. So hyper-local is a huge thing in Ireland and, you know, naturally grown. So what you're going to find is a lot of food that is five miles down the road fresh. And the things that the chefs are doing and, you know, even your pubs are doing is taking these foods and, you know, not drowning them in sauces, but really letting these beautiful, fresh flavors come through. So definitely, I would say eat at the smaller pubs. Don't think you have to rely on fish and chips because there is so much more. Although a good fish and chips is hard to beat. Yeah, I love fish and chips. I do too. (laughs) So if you were going to take, you know, a family goes over there and they're going to take a family photo to remember the trip by, do you have a specific or special idea you have for a great family photo spot or spots? Well, you know, it's funny that you asked that because we've never really done family portraits because or family pictures because it's always me behind the camera. And this year we are actually having our pictures done at Malahide Castle. And the grounds of Malahide are beautiful. And the nice thing is the flightographers in Dublin will come out to Malahide. So that's kind of a bonus. If you are taking them yourselves and you really want to have a great picture, there's always somebody wandering around at the Cliffs of Moher. And so having that background, that backdrop um, of either O'Brien's Tower and, you know, that long, beautiful line of cliffs, there's always somebody there that can can get your picture with that backdrop. Uh, Bunratty Castle is also really nice because, again, there are always people there who are more than happy to help you. You know, it's kind of like, if you'll take my picture, I'll take yours. Yeah. Um, and those give really great backdrops. For the Cliffs of Moher, is, is there a better time of day to be there, you know, based on where mm-hmm. the sun's shining? Actually, it's based on missing the crowds more yeah. than anything. 
and this is this is all across Ireland. So this actually will work for you know your main sites like your, your Blarney Castle, Cliffs of Moher, Glendalough. What you'll find is the tour buses usually will come to those places first. So they they've positioned their groups relatively close, and so opening time just skip it. Yeah, do your do your visits. Yeah, do your visits in the mid to later afternoon. And while it will still be busy, it won't be as busy as it is in the morning. And then also, especially at the Cliffs of Moher, the sunsets are beautiful. You know, sun rises in the east, sets in the west. So the sunsets are beautiful and you're missing the crowds and, and things like that. So, But afternoons, I mean, for your main sites, if you can do it at all, hit those in the afternoon. Yeah, that's great to know because so many places it's like get there as soon as it opens. So mm-hmm. that's really good advice. So do you have any particular clothing or travel gear that you really recommend that you like to wear when you go to Ireland? I do. We do a lot of walking, a lot of active type things. So I I usually take a couple pair of Keen. Um, I have a pair of Keen hiking boots Mm -hmm. and then I have a pair of Keen sandals that I'll wear for water type things. So like this year we're doing kayaking and stand up paddle boarding. So I'll wear, you know, the sandals for that. But for walking and hill walking and hiking, um, the keen hiking boots are just great because they're so wonderfully water resistant. Yeah. And then I have a, it's a Scotty vest jacket. I think it's called the Molly jacket. And while it's not, it's not waterproof, it is water resistant and it's really great for layering because it's, it's not a terribly heavy, warm jacket, but it's really good for layering. And then it has, you know, a bazillion pockets. So I really like that one. And then as unflattering as they are, I do have one pair of convertible pants. <laughs> I hate them. And I, I still haven't figured out why men's convertible pants have like a bazillion pockets, right? They're like cargo pants. And women's convertible pants have one and no back pockets. I'm like, what? Anyway, <laughs> I digress. But I do like the convertible pants if I know we're going to be someplace that I might get wet because they dry so quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they're awful, they're ugly, they're not attractive, but they dry so quick. I just saw them at Costco. (laughs) Oh, did you? (laughs) I didn't look at Costco. I got mine at Shields. And uh, yeah, I'm not fond of them. I wish somebody would make a really nice convertible pant for women, but I haven't seen any yet. And boy, are they so annoying when you have to zip the bottoms back on. (laughs) Like my, and you I have to get the right one. Yeah, like I don't, I don't have them. Uh, mine are just regular hiking pants, but my daughter has those that zip off, and she loves to zip them off because she's like, I got hot, so I took them off. I'm like, well, you have to figure out how to put them back on. Then. They they are really nice. I mean, even for amusement parks, because we were at an amusement park this last weekend, and I wore those, and you know, my pants dried off so much quicker than denim. Oh, yeah. for sure. So in general, though, lots of layering and um, be prepared Always for different layering. types of Ireland, weather. Yeah, yeah. Ireland doesn't get incredibly hot or incredibly cold. You know, you'll have in the winter very cold, icy rain coming off the, the Atlantic. But, you know, generally for travel and when people travel the most, Ireland really doesn't get much colder than 50 or much higher than 72. So you want to be sure that you have... You know, definitely nice warm woolen socks, which conveniently you can just get there. I usually wear a T-shirt and then I have, you know, the light wool blend long sleeve athletic type shirts. I can't even think of what what brand they are, but 
you know, just a really nice light wool layering shirt that then, and then a jacket over that. And that usually does, does really well. That's great. You gave us some really good advice. I love all the the tips that you only get from traveling there many times. So we appreciate that. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful place to travel. I mean, if, if ever there was a country that was, that was really made for family travel, it's Ireland because, you know, the magic, it's, it's very easy to imagine that a fairy lives in the woodlands or, you know, you still have the, the hawthorn trees, you know, you never cut down a hawthorn tree, you never, you know, plant over a fairy circle. I mean, these are things that are still part of the culture, very much believed by many people. So it's a magical place that doesn't rely on anything other than itself for the magic. So if, if ever there was a place that was just truly made for families, it's Ireland. That's great. Well, thank you, Jody. And if people want more information, where can they find you? Uh, they can find my site, Ireland Family Vacations. Very easy to find online. And there's a big picture on the front of a castle and it says, start planning your trip here, I believe is what it says now. And from there, it takes you to an interactive map where you can click on each county and it will give you tips of where to stay, where to eat, what to do, things to see, maybe some itinerary advice. So I've really tried to set it up so that people can use that to just plan their entire vacation that way if they're not afraid to really dig in and do a little work. Sounds great. (laughs) Thanks for being here. And I'm sure everyone will be um, checking out your website and following you on social media, especially since you're leaving for Ireland (laughs) in just another week or so. So there'll be some great pictures coming out. We are. we, um, We are traveling June 3rd through the 28th. And I do actually have a hashtag for that. It's hashtag IFV. So IFV for Ireland Family Vacations 2016. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter should be pretty easy to find if, if anybody wants to follow along on that. And I try to get on there a couple times a day and, and answer questions as we go. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Jody. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay, so since we're talking about international travel today, I thought we should also talk about some good apps to make sure you download onto your phone or your device before you leave. And one of my favorites is Google Translate. They have some really great functionality. You can choose your, you know, what you're translating uh, from and to, but you can also you can use your camera to take a picture of, say, a, a menu or something like that, and have it translate. You can speak into it to have it translate. So there's a lot of functionality. The only thing to realize is that it does require an internet connection. So if you are not on Wi-Fi, then you would have to turn on data, which is a bit of a bummer. So what I usually do is also have a backup and I download some, some, you know, there's a ton of different apps that are specific to the destination where you're going, or they can have in-app purchases where you can get phrase books uh, or some basic translation for Spanish or Italian or French or, you know, whatever language you might need. So I think that's um, a good backup to have in case you need some basic phrases and and language assistance when you're not connected to the internet. And then I guess the last tip would be like before you go, if you want to prepare, I know I'm a big 
believer in having kids like really prepare for their trip, especially a big international trip. And one way to get them excited to do that and maybe try the language when they're in the country is to have them learn a few phrases. And we've tried a couple different things, but my, uh, Hannah really loves Duolingo. And it's funny because recently we're driving back from school and she was practicing. She's like, I'm trying to brush up on my Italian because it's been a while and I, I don't want to lose it. So you can uh, either before you go or at any time, just learn a few phrases and learn some language with Duolingo. So I, I love that app. I love it too. It's a good one. And I like how they have like, you can, it's a daily course kind of. So if you check in every day of your trip, you just learn, you know, five key phrases and, and then it'll escalate as you continue. So it's kind of a, a great little, a great app. I know I, they didn't have Hebrew, but I used an app to help learn some Hebrew before I went to Israel. So great, great tip. I remember you were texting me like, Shalom, Tamara. Exactly. (laughs) It was great. And it really helped. And it impressed my guide, too, because the other people on the trip hadn't, you know, some of them knew Hebrew a little bit from other trips, but others didn't. And, you know, the guide thought it was cool that I made this effort to try and um, learn some language, some of the language. And so she really had fun trying to help me learn even more while I was there. So that's nice. People always appreciate it. Even if you're going to an area where there's a lot of English speakers, they'll always appreciate an attempt at their language. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I just want to take a second to remind everyone that we have a Facebook page. So many people are on Facebook and, um, It's kind of this great resource that I think a lot of people use. However, just so you know, we have a Facebook page where we post some of our own posts and then we're always sure to list when the new episodes go live. Hopefully you're subscribed so you don't need that. But you can go to facebook.com slash vacation mavens, or you can just search for vacation mavens up in the top bar on Facebook. And just give us a like on that page and you'll kind of stay up to date and see us in your feed. So that's it. And looking forward to chatting with you guys next week. We're going to be talking about family camping with Amy Whitley. Perfect time for summer. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.